You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about important years of our lives. Actually, we're going to talk about the first years of our lives. So we're going to focus on 1997, which of course is the year that Noah was born. And we're going to focus on a certain other year, 1968, which is the year that Greg was born. So um, we're going to talk about milestones. Noah says he has about 10 different things he wants to talk about with regard to 1997. Funny thing is, is I even suggested to him that maybe I talk about 1997 because I was there. Um, I guess I was there in 1968 as well, but naturally don't recall quite as much. So took a little bit of research on both our parts, but um, we've got some good stuff and we're excited to talk about it together. So with that set up, Noah, you want to talk about uh, what's your first milestone of 1997? All right. So obviously the first milestone was just me being born in general, perhaps the most significant contribution to that year, but I'll talk about a couple smaller ones in general as well. I would agree that that was the most significant <laughs> contribution to the year. No question, hands down, no dispute. Don't want to talk about anything else. Okay. All good episode. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, all jokes aside, um, you know, when you think about uh, significant years in history, uh, sometimes you'll think of uh, maybe 1999, of course, or Y2K with 2000 or, you know, the turn of the century. You think about uh, sort of uh, those times and uh, 1997, uh, when you think about it, you probably don't recall many big things happening if you're my age, but if you're my dad's wizened old age, then you might recall one interesting thing here, which is uh, Dolly the Sheep. Now, do you know who Dolly the Sheep is? I do recall Dolly the Sheep. Was that 1997? It was. You mean Dolly the Sheep is as old as you are? Uh, was as old. As, I don't know if Dolly the Sheep is still around, but no, uh, I think I remember when Dolly the Sheep died, but I don't remember. So, I mean, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, well, this is interesting because Dolly the Sheep was the very first animal to be cloned, and I didn't even know that could happen, let alone in the 90s. So that's an interesting part of uh, that. Um, another interesting thing in 1997 is that IBM actually created a machine, and it was the first machine to ever beat a human player. And I believe this was the world uh, chess champion, uh, which is pretty incredible. And he had never lost to another human opponent. So it goes to show how technology was just as powerful in the 90s uh, as you know as it's continued on to amazing things like with what we're using today. So. Those are two uh, small tidbits. I would also like to give a shout out to South Park, uh, a show that's still running to this day, and a $900 million deal that was just closed with the uh, creators, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, for 14 movies and I think seven extra seasons. So um, that's still going. And then, of course, who could forget Titanic, which also came out in 1997. Many people believe that is James Cameron's masterpiece. Um, I hold a little bit of an unpopular opinion there. I yeah, because you believe that Avatar is his masterpiece. Isn't that right, Noah? No, I don't. You know, I definitely think he's a visionary filmmaker, but I, you know, for some reason, I just can't truly enjoy his films. It's kind of crazy. Um, but Titanic was definitely a spectacle in its day, I'm sure. And uh, you probably remember when you went to the theater and saw it. Uh, 
I guess it was a summer blockbuster for its time, but it really sort of established Leonardo DiCaprio as the rising star that he was, and he's still a fixture today. So it goes to show that a lot of things started in 1997 and still have a significant impact um, in contemporary culture. So that's pretty cool. Well, here's a fun fact, uh, and we're not talking movies necessarily in this episode, but that was the first movie that your mom and I went to see after you were born. And I think we went to see it on Valentine's Day, 1998. So um, we did not see it until now. We've seen it a lot of times since because it's one of our favorites, uh, in spite of the fact that you uh, are not a fan. So, (laughs) All right. So tell me about some interesting things that happened in 1968. All right. Well, you know, obviously, um, one of the things I think that's so interesting about, you know, reading about and studying history is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And fundamentally, 1968 was was really considered a turning point in U.S. history because of its triumphs and tragedies and a lot of social upheaval. Um, and, and, you know, as I look back at the number of things that happened in 1968, for me, um, I would have to say, uh, and when I say for me, I mean just because of my, my lens on the world, I would have to say the most significant thing was that on April 4th, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, so, you know, obviously, uh, when we talk about social unrest and we talk about race relations and we talk about critical figures in history, there's no question that Martin Luther King Jr. is chief among them. Um, and so the fact that he was assassinated in that year really tells you a, a lot about um, the know, time it was the times, the times yeah, that, it, you know, that they were. So um, I would say for, uh, you know, if I look at a list um, that's certainly chief among the most profound events and horrific events of 1968. I'll throw out a couple of others too. Um, and actually I'm going to, there are several interesting ones that I was not aware of, but this is a little bit um, different um, of, a, of a slant on what I just said though. But speaking of sort of racial tensions and race relations mm-hmm. on November 22nd, um, the, the TV show Star Trek aired um, the first interracial kiss on American television. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, wow. I had no idea. Um, and it, it was never called... been done before? No, no. And you know, even though I'm, you know, was born in 1968, 53 years ago, I, I forget how much has changed, but unfortunately, how little has changed too, as I said earlier. But um, yeah, it was the um, episode called Plato's Stepchildren. And um, it, you know, was between James Kirk, played by William Shatner, and Nichelle Nichols, who played uh, Lieutenant uh, Neota Urora. Urora. Uh, I'm not a Star Trek fan. So, but anyway, censors at NBC insisted on filming in an alternate version uh, without the kiss, fearing that local TV affiliates in the Deep South would refuse to air the episode. Wow. Um, so I know. I mean, okay, enough said there. But that just goes to tell you, fortunately, we have made... Uh, considerable progress in in certain areas so those are the first two that come to mind and I think that even though they're somewhat you know in different spheres of society uh, there's a common theme there of course absolutely and I mean to your point while it is difficult to talk about these are important things to talk about especially uh, in this podcast we talk about entertainment very often Right. And, um, you know, it's very important to recognize hallmarks and changes in entertainment as well, because that's critical to how society sort of views the world and how we get our worldview of things. So in many ways, that's actually a very positive 
um, sort of aspect of 1968, being able to sort of break that barrier. And I can't believe that it actually happened so late. So yeah, that's, that's something I didn't know about. So that's pretty cool. How there, long has Star Trek been around? Oh, uh, clearly, clearly at least 53 years. Um, but I was thinking, you know, as I was saying this too, you know, I, you know, as I said, political tensions, race relations, um, civil rights, it doesn't that sound an awful lot like um, modern day? It so, does. To so, my point, you know, um, some things have changed. A lot of things have changed for the better. But unfortunately, we're still battling um, a lot of things, too, that we were battling 53 years ago. So certainly. And it's it's good to point that out in many ways, yeah. too. So what else happened in 1968 that's pretty significant? Um, well, Nixon was not president by that point, right? It was the he was seven- elected president in 1968. In is fact. that true? Okay. Yes. And then yeah. who was his predecessor? Uh huh. You were going to ask me that, aren't you? Yeah. Um, I got to read a history lesson here. I think um, Bill Clinton was 97. Is that correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Bill Clinton is also notable for being the only president I have ever met in my life. I met him in 2008. Um, because I think that Hillary was doing some sort of speaking tour and mm-hmm. I don't really know the circumstances that led to it, but you know, uh, he came around and I said, Hey to him, I must've been 10 years old or so, but I remember, I remember that day I was in California and I got a phone call from your mom saying that you guys had just met Bill Clinton. So, um, good story. There's a picture of that somewhere, but, yeah. but anyway, uh, did the, was the moon landing 1960? When was that? Well, in 1968, Apollo 8 was orbiting the moon. Um, So that was probably that was another big, you know, milestone for the United States, honestly, in that, uh, you know, NASA was, dare I say, in a very different space than it is today. No pun intended, Um, (laughs) literally. But um, but yeah, that was the big, big uh, success of um, NASA back in 1968. Was the now quality. billionaires um, can go to space. Jeff Bezos. Uh, now billionaires can go to space. Jeff Bezos just uh, took a little trip uh, up and down. That's right. Didn't he? That's right. So maybe 53 years from now, the average Joe can go to uh, space. But one of the things related to the Apollo 8 mission was that it took the first photos of Earth taken from deep space by humankind. So that was um, the first. That essentially that was the first actual confirmation of what earth really looked like yeah um you know, one could argue that it was the well uh, again first photos of the earth taken from deep space and there's a there's an iconic and, and you by my saying this you can probably envision it but there's an iconic uh sort of uh shot of um uh, well from from that mission that's called earth rise and it's um you know essentially a shot of the earth from deep space so kind of a milestone a big Very milestone cool. yeah. yeah so a lot of stuff yeah. happened then i know woodstock 69 was uh an interesting uh thing that happened the year after you were born but uh-huh. i'm pretty sure woodstock 68 uh was also famous for uh, quite a few things yeah. um but going back to 1997 now that we've shared a little bit about uh what happened okay. in 68 uh, another significant event was Madeleine Albright became the first female secretary of state for the first I remember. I, I remember. And I believe the first time I was ever aware of secretaries of state was when Condoleezza Rice. Yes. Was. Yes. Because I remember you would always ask me, who's the secretary of state? And that was roughly 2004, 
2005, and I would say Condoleezza Rice. Uh, I remember I remember being in the post office with you. Of course, you probably haven't been in a post office since, um, but there was a picture of Condoleezza Rice, and I asked you if you knew who that was, and you did, and I was so proud of you. So, Oh, yeah. Very cool. And then um, Lion King the Musical came out in 97. Um, I, I have seen Lion King the Musical, and I am not a fan of Lion King the Musical. You know, it's still going on to this day. I know. Yeah, yeah. I saw it in London. Didn't love it. You're a huge fan of the original, though, that came out. Um, you know, I like The Lion King, but it was not my favorite of the Disney films by any means. Oh, a uh, little bit of a suggestion here. Uh, actually, I'll save that for the check this out section. Um, oh, okay. So um, additionally, Microsoft became the world's most valuable company, valued at $261 billion. How wow. Great. And Luxembourg was also announced as the richest country in the world with an average per capita income of $41,000, uh, followed by Switzerland and Japan. I and have you ever been to Luxembourg, Noah? I did. I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers there in concert, and it was sensational. I do remember uh, learning that fact about five years ago when I went and thinking to myself, I, you know, it, it, I had this image in my mind where I was like, I thought it was going to be like, you know, streets of gold or some kind of crazy, more opulent sort of uh, deal about it. But I will admit, I stayed in an amazing, uh, very uh, economical uh, hotel in Luxembourg. And I certainly enjoyed my stay there. So that was pretty cool. Also, I remember you telling me this. So I remember when I first learned about Mike Tyson, I asked you about him uh, probably when I was six or seven. And you said, oh, yeah, Mike Tyson. Um, the reason he doesn't box anymore is because he bit somebody's ear off. And I was like, Evander no. Holyfield, right? I think it was his uh, ear. It was yes, his ear. that is correct. And that also happened in 1997. And speaking mm -hmm. of athletes, Tiger Woods, at 21 years old, became the youngest ever golfer to win the Masters, which is mm -hmm. pretty crazy to think about. Mm -hmm. I remember. Yeah. He's I uh, remember. quite a decorated career. And obviously, you know, he had that scandal in what, 2009, 2006. But he's yeah. uh, quite a bit. And I can't imagine that golfing gets any easier as you age. Um, I've only golfed a few times in my life, but uh, Lord knows that it's already difficult for a young whippersnapper such as myself. So, uh, what do you have up next? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I want to go back to a question. You asked me, who did Nixon uh, beat in the 1968 election? The answer was Lyndon Baines Johnson. So, okay, I, w I thought it was Lyndon B. Johnson, but uh, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't sure if he had a second. Uh, 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 no, uh, oh, in the presidential debate, former Vice President Richard Nixon, he was Vice President, uh, defeated Democratic incumbent Hubert Humphrey. Interesting. Nixon won the popular vote by less than one point. That's a took fun most name. states out of the Northeast, yeah. Hubert Humphrey. Interesting. Yeah. So um, in 1968, that was sort of um, that was sort of on the precipice of the 70s, of course. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Um, what would you say was probably like the first time? Uh, what would you say was probably like the first time you realized that um, technology had like truly advanced from when Mama and Pop Up had you know all their stuff in the 60s up to when you were like a kid. So I guess what was brand new in the 1960s and then what became old uh, in the 1970s? You know what I'm talking about? You know, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. And I'm not sure I can answer that 100%. I can tell you this. Um, uh, Pop-Up had slides 
and a slide projector, which is in our garage, by the way. Um, I don't think it works anymore, but you know, you sort of hate to get rid of the slides, although I don't know what I'm doing with them since I haven't looked at them in, you know, 40 years, but it was fun to sort of every now and again, growing up, pop-pop would, uh, we would all go down in the basement and we would look at the slides of, you know, my, your grandparents, my parents before I was born or when I was a baby. And so I still have all those. So I would, the, the short answer to your question is slides because we have, we had a slide projector. Yeah. I remember, uh, when I was in kindergarten, so this must've been 2003 or so we were, um, and music class and uh, we were in a trailer and I remember <laughs> this was interesting we were watching the Nutcracker but it was one of those things you probably remember this from when you were younger too where they have the music playing but you have to switch the slide in order to like have the natural progression of the entire uh, thing it was an overhead projector mm-hmm. and I remember it was slides but to me now that feels ancient because I yeah. remember when I was I think a senior in high school was the first time we ever used a smart board. And I was just blown away by that. And projectors yeah. were a very real thing for a long time, all the way up until I was in maybe middle school or so. so. Yeah, I was talking to someone about an overhead projector not too long ago. And, you know, of course, we got a big kick out of that. We laughed a lot because that just seems so old fashioned and archaic at this stage, right? Um, given technology and the advancements that technology have made, honestly, in the last five to 10 years. This might be an interesting one, sort of to the question I posed earlier. Were telegrams a viable way of communicating in 1970, or were they essentially old hat by then? I think they were old hat. I don't remember ever anyone in my life ever getting a telegram. It's funny that you say that, because I remember Pop-Up got a telegram. You told me when he won a prize. Um, I, I think it was- When he won the camper? Yeah, you told me. I, I think we actually had like a copy of that, and it was a telegram announcing that he had won the prize. And I thought that was super cool because there's like an app now called Telegram, but probably most people who use it don't even remember ever probably having received one. So right. yeah, That's um, good yeah. And so a couple more things for 1997, Paul McCartney, obviously, uh, arguably the most famous Beatle outside of John Lennon. Um, he was knighted in 1997. And I think being knighted in uh the United Kingdom is essentially it's when you become Sir Paul McCartney or right. Sir Noah Zeiser. So I guess that's like the highest rank you can have. Oh, have you been knighted? I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, I wish. Um, speaking of knights, Elton John also released "Candle in the Wind" in September of nineteen. Oh yes. Do you want me to sing it? Do you want me to sing it? Uh, no, thank you. But okay. uh, which also connects with another event that happened. Princess Diana died. And uh, you know what? Was I remember that so vividly, Noah. In fact, I was asleep and your mom was very expectant with you. And she came in in the middle of the night because she couldn't sleep. Thanks a whole lot. And um, <laughs> she, uh, she woke me up and she said, Princess Diana died. And I was like, wow. Yeah. 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 Um, that, was, that was huge because the media had such an obsession with her. Um, and what a tragic ending to you know, what should have been a much, much longer life. I heard um, that's the reason why, uh, I mean, what led to it, because the paparazzi was chasing her. And then, there's a lot of, I think there's some conspiracy theories around that, oh, but yeah. it was, the, the paparazzi was chasing her and she went through, you know, her car uh, and her entourage, I think it was maybe one or two other cars went through uh, a tunnel in, um, in Paris, uh, one that, that I've been through. And um, 
uh, it was just they were trying to I think outpace and the accident and, occurred and you know, you horrible you would have thought that would be like a landmark event for sort of reevaluating how uh, the media sort of crowds around people and celebrities. But, you know, to, I think today it would be if there was such a, a, a terrible uh, tragedy. Mm-hmm. But it, unfortunately, it often takes horrific tragedies at a certain point in our history that wakes people up. Oh, yeah, um, of course, because, you know, it has to have a consequence. We really yeah, yeah. consequences. Yeah. And- when I was living in Los Angeles, you know, I, I knew about Princess Diana, of course, but um, it's, it's still pretty, it's still pretty heavy. Uh, and oh, not- yeah. Well, especially too, we're coming up on the 25th anniversary next year of it. And I think, you know, there are certain milestones and, and as you get older, you will, you will uh, have experiences in your life or times in your life that you will forever remember. I know exactly where I was when the shuttle challenger exploded, I know exactly where I was when Ronald Reagan was shot, you know, and, and those things are, are, I remember where I was when nine 11 occurred. I mean, obviously yeah. it was on nine 11, but I when the twin towers started, to fall. That. I don't remember that. I think that might've been a few months before I like truly started having long-term memories. Uh-huh. Because, you well, know, yeah, you were so young and you know, 2001. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but um, it, it just goes to show, you know, a, a lot of times when we're living through some of these moments, we, mm. we think that it's a moment in time and we know it might be significant later. But as the years go on, you sort of look back and you're like, wow, that really was a landmark happening during mm. that time. And mm. I didn't realize uh, that 23 years ago, in my case, there were so many big things that, are, that were happening that still affect me to this yeah. day. Well, I would argue, too, if we looked at any year in history, we would see a, a significant number of things that occurred, um, you know, and we're just talking about the years that we were born because, you know, they're obviously significant, especially significant to, to each of us. But I think if we looked at, you know, 1992 or, uh, you know, 1981, we would we would see equally significant things, um, you know that had impact on society and the world as, at large. Oh, no, I certainly agree. So, so I got a few more. I got a few more here that yeah, are I think, of great interest. So on June 5th of 1968, Robert F. Kennedy, the brother of John F. Kennedy, was assassinated. So this is five years after his brother, JFK, was assassinated. And, um, uh, you know, obviously there, there's a media fascination with the Kennedy family. And, um, uh, you know, again, another horrific event. Um, Taylor Swift dated a Kennedy uh, once. I remember that when I was just starting high school. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're Patrick, still I don't know who the Kennedys are. But, I mean, you know, I can't keep up with the Kennedys. But, um, I mean, just another, I mean, that talk, oftentimes families, certain families in American history that there is a great interest in suffer from tremendous tragedy. And there's no question uh, that the Kennedy family has really experienced some significant tragedy um, over time. So uh, that was in June 5th. Here's another one that I think is really interesting. And uh, I just kind of wanted to share it. It was the first in um, 1968. It was the very first time that a jumbo jet was introduced. So Obviously, first time in introduction, they're synonymous with one another. But Boeing introduced the first 747 jumbo jet on September 30th. 
And, you know, as someone who has flown quite a bit in, in my life, yeah, you know, I just always think, you know, I, I don't necessarily think, okay, what size plane am I on or what, you know, what particular aircraft is this? But when I think about, you know, the fact that it's the 747s and, and you know, what's interesting is I remember long ago, you used to be able to, this is going to sound funny to you, Noah, but you could actually, if you were like, let's say I was flying, I'll use your grandfather as an example. He would do uh, tours of uh, the Holy Land. So he would take groups of people uh, to Israel. And Interesting. because he was going, um, my mom and I were allowed to go on the plane and see it while they were getting ready to take, to take off. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, and I remember there was a staircase in one of the the planes and I think it was probably a 747, but you know, there's a mystique about air travel back in the day in the sixties and in the seventies. And that just, just doesn't exist today, right? People used to dress up and it was just very, it was what I think cruising was until it became, you know, more accessible to more people, including us. Um, So Anyway, just a fun story that the 747 was um, introduced in September of 1968, and uh, that was, um, you know, pretty significant in the air travel industry, which um, wasn't new at the time, but certainly was um, experiencing a significant growth. Yeah, absolutely. And you have something else as well? Uh, that's, That's really... I think that's it for now. I might have cool. one or two more, but what you give us uh, one or two more and then we'll, we'll call it an episode. All right. So sorry if you hear the cats uh, meowing. I, if it's not the dogs, it's going to be the cats here. Let me uh, go ahead and let them into uh, that room over there. Actually, you know what? I'll wait on it. Um, so uh, here's another uh, interesting thing. Ellen officially came out in 1997, and I believe at that time she was a TV sitcom star. Or a she pop. was, she was, and she went on to unprecedented levels of success right after. Which, once you think about it, is um, kind of uh, amazing because in that time specifically, people, uh, people really, especially celebrities, um, sort of like hid that from the greater public. And if they did, I'd imagine that they wouldn't get as significant work. However, Ellen really made a brand out of herself. I mean, I have to say, uh, besides Oprah, she might have the most successful sort of like show of her own that's on television. So um, I find that pretty cool. And she got work as Dory in Finding Nemo in 2003. So, I mean, she really was killing it right after. Um, Wasn't she on a Time magazine cover as well? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, here's the thing about, you know, again, back to sign of the times or the changing times, you know, I remember when, when Ellen came out and it was like this big deal. And, you know, you sort you, you know, 24 years later, you wonder why was that such a big deal? I mean, good for Ellen. And I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, but it, you know, at the time she was probably, that was a career. Uh, sadly, that was not good for a career. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and that's ridiculous. And um, so I'm really, I love the fact that Ellen became the Ellen that we know today. Um, you know, because she's talented. And that's really all that matters. So yeah, yeah. 
Um, I, I don't care what recent controversies say. I mean, you know, obviously nobody's perfect, but Ellen is, Ella, Ellen is, uh, she's an icon to me. I, I think she's fantastic. And I always used to love watching her show at grandma's house. Um, it was TV 14, so I didn't tell you guys about it, but it was really entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, uh, so one last very, very significant, uh, thing happened in 1997 and Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone came out. Uh, so that was obviously the British version because J.K. Rowling is um, uh, British and it eventually became the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, and that's the first Harry Potter book? Yes, yes, it oh, was. Okay. Went on to sell the one I tried to read and couldn't get into. Yeah, it went on to sell 120 million copies. And let me say, that book is sensational. I think the Harry Potter books are really what got me into reading when I was really young. Um, and I remember I would always carry another one around just in case I finished uh just in case I finished one because they were just that good. I mean, real. I remember you would carry two, two of those thick books around because you were afraid that you were going to finish one and not have a Harry Potter book to read. And I think that's a, I think that's like an essential part of sort of literature and young adult literature uh, that sort of was popularized, especially up until 2010, 2014, you know, in twilight and we had the divergent series and, you know, all the ones in between Uh, Harry Potter really spearheaded that. And it has quite a few good movies to boot as well. So um, I'm a big fan of that book. Uh, it, honestly, if you know it, you've probably read it already. And um, to anybody listening, uh, that's, I mean, it's pretty, I'm, I'm pretty honored that the first uh, book in that series came out in 1997. I like that. Well, I've got one more. And this is very timely because the Summer Olympics have just concluded in Japan. Um, but on October 16th, uh, which is interesting because October is not necessarily summer, but U.S. athletes took a stand at the Summer Olympics, and essentially they were in, held in Mexico City, and two black athletes staged a silent demonstration against racial discrimination in the U.S., really? which I think is really interesting because, of course, we, we are very aware of um, you know, what's happened, um, particularly in the world of athletics, with uh, athletes taking a stand or taking a knee, if you will. Um, and so again, more of the same. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a, oh, um, a bad way. It just means that, you know, when we talk about, uh, time and people evolving time passes and we don't always evolve or society doesn't change as quickly as we'd like it to. So there were protests back in the Olympics 53 years ago. Um, and you know, there were certain, uh, certainly protests in the 19 and the, sorry, the 2021 Olympics in Japan, um, in the last month or so. So, uh, you know, I think very timely, especially given the fact that the summer Olympics just concluded. And certainly, and, um, a lot of that, uh, especially one of the best parts about communication today is that we can actually bring to light or take, uh, you know, things that happened in the past that weren't widely known or widely disseminated. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. maybe, maybe because they were like a little bit censored or more silenced, but, uh, to your point, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened in sports, you know, it mm-hmm. just wasn't as widely shown. So I find that, I, I find that pretty incredible. Um, it, there's so many amazing just stories regarding athletes in the Olympics and just like, you know, overcoming, you know, adversity, uh, whether it's, you know, racial diversity, whether it's, you know, class, diver- uh, class uh, sort of structure, or even just, you know, uh, with uh, the 
uh, Paralympics as well. It's a pretty incredible thing just to be able to be proud of your nation and be able to see the people that represent your nation and be proud of them. So that's, you know, I'm not somebody who goes and, you know, looks for as much Olympic content as I can outside of the four years. But when it comes on, it just reminds me of how we're such an excellent group of so many different people in this country. And it's not what so much of, you know, the media makes out the world to be, right? Yep. Yeah. Nope. Completely agree. Um, you know, I have a huge affinity for the Olympics. Unfortunately, I was a little distracted this year for a whole lot of reasons. Largely, I think, you know, um, I, I did, I'll, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but since we're talking about the Olympics, I was listening to a podcast recently and there was discussion about, it was, it's the podcast, The Watch. And um, they were talking about how just five years ago, when the last summer Olympics occurred, television ratings were so, so high um and they're still high but comparatively speaking if you compare them well comparatively speaking if you compare them but of course if you if you stack them against five years ago they are so so much lower and the point was just in the last five years television viewership has so dramatically changed that um you know what used to be uh, a really successful uh, show or airing of a, of a sports in this case, you know, is still successful, but on a different scale. Oh, that's for and, sure. I mean, yeah. And we, you know, I, we don't have regular television anymore. Um, we have streaming services only. So fortunately we had Peacock to watch it, but uh, just, anyway, I thought that was just an interesting commentary on how quickly uh, that, uh, that um, part of, society has changed in that uh, television viewing is completely different. And I think certainly is for us. Yeah. I I think two big reasons for that too are uh, Usain Bolt retired, right? And he was in the 2016 Olympics, Michael Phelps, a decorated champion. uh, He retired as well from uh, being in the Olympics. I don't know if he retired from swimming, but uh, Simone Biles uh, for this year, um, she took a break from a certain event and she had a triumphant comeback. So I look forward to seeing her on my next Wheaties box. Um, but I would say that that like, you know, some very high level athletes not participating this year, along with what you said, because I think in 20, 2016, it was really only Netflix and Hulu and Hulu was just emerging. I mean, now it's five or six major services plus, you know, every other channel trying to get their piece of the pie. So, I mean, things have moved incredibly fast and live sports has already sort of been packaged with Hulu, maybe YouTube TV and sling or whatever. So there's less of a reason to watch the Olympics on cable and also considering, um, you know, Simone Biles, uh, who a lot of people want to, uh, want to watch in uh, gymnastics. Maybe there wasn't as much retention there. And of course, Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt not being a part of, um, uh, sort of uh, this year's Olympics. I, I, I'll, I'll admit, I probably had the least amount of investment in this year uh, yeah. than previous years. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's interesting. You just named a lot of names uh, of people who uh, were prime during your formative years growing, you know, growing up and, and watching the Olympics. For me, that was Peter Vidmar and Mary Lou Retton and Joan Benoit and, you know, Rowdy Gaines and Nancy Hogshead. And so, I think we all sort of can, depending on our age, can appreciate the games 
for certain personalities that really elevated them for us and for the country. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So this has been kind of fun. I really, uh, you know, because honestly, I had to look up some things naturally. I don't remember 1968. uh, And uh, but I enjoyed sort of uh, identifying some key events that um, remind me of um, just, you know, where we were and how far or not far we've come. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move into our, I can't remember. It's check this out, right? Check it out. Check it out section. So I can go first. Um, yes, please do. I have notably been absent in some of my uh, findings for the section, but I mentioned The Lion King, the musical came out in 1997. So that brought me to thinking about The Lion King one and a half, which was to my knowledge, a direct uh, to video release that uh, came out in, I want to say 2003 or four. That movie is better than it has any right to be. And I know for sure it is on Disney+. Plus. So if anybody listening here is a Disney fan, and I mean, it's probably likely that you are, uh, go ahead and watch The Lion King one and a half if you haven't already. It's super well done and way better than the title would suggest. It's a sort of prequel leading into the events of the original Lion King. So how Timon and Pumbaa met and then they eventually meet um, Simba and, you know, go about how everything is going, but really great movie. I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember that was one of those ones that I probably have seen 10 times. So go ahead and check out the Lion King one and a half. I have not seen it, but that's a good recommendation, especially as it's sort of um, this conversation was a springboard for that. I'm going to also talk about a TV show, big surprise. Um, but it's probably not one that many of our viewers have seen. It's on HBO Max, and it's called The White Lotus. The White Lotus is uh, a show with uh, Steve Zahn and Connie Britton and um, uh, a number of other folks whose names you'd recognize, but it is essentially about um, guests at a Hawaiian resort, and it is um, a six-episode I won't call it a slog. I will call it um, a saga. What's that? Low burner. Yeah. Okay. It's a low burner. There are five episodes um, in the, you know, aired. We have one to go and got a lot of wrapping up to do in one episode, but it is essentially, I think what I have discovered is that it is essentially a satire on white privilege (laughs) and it's a little painful to watch. It's actually a lot painful to watch. But it's largely because there is not one character in this show that is likable, honestly. They're all just, uh, anyway. But it's worth watching. You know, HBO Max has some really good shows. Mayor of East Easttown was spectacular. This I would not call spectacular. It reminds me a lot of The Leftovers, which you know I think is the most grim TV show I've ever seen in my entire life. This one is no pick-me-up, but it's a fascinating account of, it's, it's fictional, of course, of just modern-day society and people of privilege. So I'll leave it at that, but The White Lotus, I'd say check it out, but you'd be ready to um, wonder why I said check it out. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I always like bold choices when we... Uh sort of come to the section so i uh will probably check that out i i love having hbo max i did watch the suicide squad by the way yeah uh, i'd be curious to know what you think about that i i think i'm gonna watch it this weekend 
Yeah, uh, we could probably do a movie review on it sometime, but um, should I withhold my thoughts? Yeah, withhold your thoughts because you know I like to form, I like, I don't want to go into it knowing what you thought. I would like to, you know, discuss it afterwards. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, I didn't see the other one, which I hear is one of the most catastrophic films ever made. Oh, that's uh, such a hyperbole. So... It was fine. It was probably a six or a seven. Oh, wow. That's pretty high. Yeah. Because you know um anyway but I'll, I'll watch that maybe this weekend and and we'll see i gotta get back to outer bank season two so jeez i'm i'm watching it right now i'm watching it right now season so are we what Four. episode are you on what episode are you on no spoilers um i am on episode seven after so are we significant event just happened yes so are we all right cool all so right four more episodes yeah we'll That's talk about good. that but uh, thank you so much for listening and just hearing our little ramblings and whatnot. You know, we're trying to... Uh, it was a history lesson today. It really was. It really was. And we're trying to get the show back on track as much as possible, you know, since my life has picked up in uh, terms of, you know, how busy we are and us having to be remote with podcasting. Uh, it has been difficult, but we want to be able to keep to that promise that you get an episode every week. But please interact. We know you're waiting. We know our audience is waiting for new episodes fresh episodes and you know what you know we are no strangers uh we are no strangers to sort of constructive criticism so if you need any if you want something more out of our episodes or you have suggestions please contact us on facebook or message us uh through instagram as well uh we're all ears so if you just want to talk about things discuss uh sort of uh the episode topics or even suggest new ideas that you want to hear about Please feel free to connect with us. If you want Luke to show up more or Grace to show up more, I don't know if we can convince Grace, but we can twist Luke's arm. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, if you didn't know, we are completely up on Facebook now. So go ahead and talk to us. All right. Uh, And with that, I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Talk. (laughs) We're never going to get that on. Or something like that. Yeah. (laughs)